God, help me, help us to see as you see so that we might do as you say. Speak to us today, Jesus. We pray. Amen. Well, it's Easter. You might not have known. So happy Easter. There's your greeting. This is a big deal, all right? It's, it's also a little bit funny because if you're one of those kind of Christmas and Easter-only people, we're not hiding it from you, right? You know what we're going to talk about today. There's no secret. And come to think of it, maybe that's why you only come back at Christmas and Easter because when you're here, you think they only talk about two things. Is that all they ever do at that place? Well, we do something else too, but Easter is a celebratory season and we love it. It it tends to put people in a better mood when we celebrate. I prefer to be in a better mood and I prefer when you're in a better mood too. And Easter is the perfect time for anyone um, to consider putting their faith in Jesus. Now, if you're already a follower of Jesus, then this is a season for you to, you know, kind of re-up. You, um, you rebook it, you upgrade your membership, you sign on for another round. And if you've been with us recently, then you've been following us through the Basecamp series. And our Basecamp series was all about laying out the fundamentals, the basics of faith. We laid them out for you step by step. And maybe, maybe you're at the point where you're starting to think, I'm ready to do that. Today, I want to encourage you to seriously consider becoming a Christian In spite of the fact that you know some. (laughs) In spite of the fact that you might work for one. In spite of the fact that you might even be married to one. In spite of the fact that you grew up with a whole bunch of them. In spite of the fact that you think that we're all hypocrites. In spite of the fact that you've had a bad church experience. In spite of the fact that you had that that one university professor who kind of just undid everything that up until that point had been did, Uh, I want you to consider it, even if you've had pain in your life. I I want you to consider it, even if God didn't say yes to your prayers as a child. In spite of the fact that you lost your mom and she was a believer, and you thought to yourself, how could a good God ever let that happen? In spite of those very difficult questions, in spite of all the questions you have that honestly I can probably never answer, I would like to challenge you to consider becoming a follower of Jesus because of Easter. Easter opens up some pretty amazing doors. And so here's some great news for those of you who are worried. The basis of the Christian faith is not going to church. The basis of the Christian faith is not behavior. The foundation of the Christian faith is not even answered prayer. The foundation of the Christian faith isn't having all of our questions answered. The foundation of our faith is what we celebrate at Easter. Today, we're going to call that history's mystery. This is one of the great mysteries of history. Easter addresses something that there is no other plausible explanation for. There is no other plausible explanation for the church. There are millions and millions of people all over the world this weekend who are celebrating a Jewish carpenter who went public for only about three years, who never traveled more than 200 kilometers from home. He never wrote a book. There's no recorded speech that he ever gave. And yet a third 
of the world's population on this weekend are going to gather together in his name. They're going to sing similar songs in languages that you can't speak, and they have dedicated their lives to this Jesus Christ. There is just no plausible explanation for how or why that happened, except what we celebrate at Easter. When I say Nero, who was Nero? Oh, for those, I'm sorry, for those of you who are new here, you're allowed to talk, okay? So who is Nero? He's a Roman emperor, okay? And you can't tell me one thing that he did as emperor. The only thing you can tell me about Nero's reign as a part of the, the world's largest empire of that time has stuff to do with Jesus. Nero's famous for feeding Christians to lions. Historically speaking, Nero, an emperor of Rome, became a footnote to the story of Christianity. It's unbelievable. Caesar Augustus, he's the first Roman emperor. He made a huge set of sweeping reforms to Rome. But I bet you couldn't name one of them. You probably don't know anything about Caesar Augustus that, that he did, except that one day he said, and all the world should be taxed, right? So every year in countries that you've never been to, you've never even heard of, his name is mentioned. And it has nothing to do with his accomplishments. But because he became a footnote in the story of the birth of a Jewish carpenter. Did you know that for 300 years after the death of Jesus, more than 300 really, if we're going to be accurate, but let's be conservative, we'll say for 300 years, there was no Christian Bible. There was no Sunday school. No one ever walked up in front of a group and said, can you all please open to Philippians chapter 2? Never happened. There was no New Testament for really close to 400 years. How in the world did the church survive that? How did the church survive Rome? How did the church survive Judaism that, that saw Christianity as, as just some sort of knockoff cult of Judaism? So Rome and the Jewish authorities ganged up to stomp out this irritating movement that was called the way. But now, check it out. There's no Roman Empire. And there are far, far, far more Christians than there are Orthodox Jews. What a big mystery from history. How did this happen? But here's what's not a mystery. It's not a mystery how religions begin. It's not a, a mystery how causes and movements begin. People study this and they track the origins and the spread of movements within cultures, um, how values kind of rise and fall in tribes and groups and nations, and the things flow in a generally similar way. There's a kind of science about it, and there are patterns that are easy to identify. It sounds sort of like this. Typically, there's unrest, and it's in a, it's in a city, or there's unrest in a nation, and then a very charismatic leader, generally a man, surfaces. And he begins to say things, and he begins to craft statements in such a way he gets buy-in, right? His words resonate with people, and, and they start saying, yeah, yeah, that's what I've been trying to say. Or, yeah, you know what, that's what I believe. And they introduce change. And there's, there's generally an old guard 
who are all about the status quo. But eventually, there is enough of a movement of the populace to overturn the status quo. And they reset that old way of thinking. Then the new ways of thinking are ushered in. The leader becomes a hero, he becomes a legend, and that type of person that people just want to continue to look to. What does he say about this? <coughs> and eventually that person dies. And the people gather around and they say, we need to keep this dream alive. And so they gather the ideas, they gather the, the teaching or whatever, and, and they say, we've got to pass this on to the next generation and the next generation. This pattern happens all the time. That's how the world does change. That's the way it works. You want an example? What does that look like? Well, think of Islam. Before there was a prophet Muhammad, there were Arab states. They were idol worshippers. And one day, a young man who would eventually be called the prophet Muhammad came out of a cave and said, God spoke to me through his angel. So he began to share those teachings with his family. And then he began to share them with his village. And then he began to share them with the nearby villages. And apparently he was a very gifted leader. And people came to him. And before long, he had a large following. And it grew and grew. And then he had an army. And then he turned the nation, the Arab tribes, from polytheism and from worshiping many gods and worshiping idols to worshiping a single god. He introduced monotheism to the Arab tribes. And they became the Arab nation. And the religion of Islam was born. He galvanized those vast and varied people who had never been organized, never had religious literature. Then in about 632 AD, about 600 years after Jesus' crucifixion, the prophet Muhammad died of natural causes. But his followers said, wait a minute, this can't be the end. We've got to take these teachings, these ideas, this view of God, and we've got to further it. And then there was division. There was a group that said, we need to pick one of his sons or one of his grandsons so that they will be the, the, the next person to take his place as prophet. And another group said, no, 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 no. What we need is a political leader. And there was division. But in spite of that, Islam became a world religion. It's a fascinating story. It's a story that you can understand. It's not hard to understand it. It follows the general pattern. In more, in more recent times, in North America, there was a civil rights movement. And there was great unrest through countries around the world, but it was sort of focused in the United States. The country was divided over race and over racism. The nation was trying to decide what to do with racial equality. It's being pushed for. How do we respond? And people had to start answering questions like, why don't we treat people equally? And why, why do we even have those laws? And on what grounds do we justify this long-standing inequality? And there were people who said things, and there were, there were people who promised things, and there was great division and very little movement. And people began to emerge as leaders. And one of those leaders was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he decided to leave his promising career as an educator and maybe a pastor in Boston and he moved, of all places, to Montgomery, Alabama, pretty much dead center in the midst of the conflict. And he was an extraordinary communicator and leader. He took statements and he just had a way of crafting words and phrases to make them memorable. <coughs> Excuse me. 
He was able to galvanize many people, and then suddenly the civil rights movement had a leader that everybody could relate to. He introduced an old idea, and then he kind of resurfaced it and made it primary again. One of the primary pillars of the civil rights movement, nonviolence. So some of his closest friends would admit later on, when, they came, when he came on the scene, they were not committed to nonviolence. But Dr. King used his powerful um, influence, and, and, and he swayed them, and he said, no, this will be a nonviolent movement that will change the culture of the violent United States. And they rallied behind him. And then tragically, in 1968, he died violently. But that wasn't the end of the movement because the men and the women who had been impacted by the experience, who had been impacted by the message, they rallied around the civil rights movement and eventually the nation woke up to the reality that things needed to change and they needed to change dramatically. The status quo was left behind and the old guard began to change. It's a fascinating story and it's all the more interesting because of the proximity to us in time. It's a story that most people have heard, at least in part, but it's a story that makes sense. It follows the pattern. Now, when you take that same pattern, and, and th- that same pattern that you see there, and that you see over and over and over again, all across the world in all sorts of different cultures, and you want to put that and transpose that onto the story of Christianity, it just, it just doesn't work. No reputable historian would say that this common transition that we've seen so many times, and that happens within cultures, no one would say that's the explanation for the rise of Christianity. And the reason it's been called history's great mystery is because we know we're here. Uh, We know a third of the world believes in Jesus. We know that a tiny handful of Jesus' followers somehow survived the first century, somehow survived the Roman Empire, somehow survived Judaism, and they multiplied to the point where there were little churches all over the Mediterranean rim. And then 2,000 years later, here we are in Stouffville of all places. Somehow it got here. We know what happened. It's undeniable. We're in it. The question is, how in the world did it happen? And the how doesn't match that paradigm that's used to easily explain a movement, how you change culture. The reason it doesn't fit, the reason it doesn't go into that paradigm, it's Jesus' message. His message was the problem. Jesus never advanced any kind of liberation or revolution at all. He never taught about how he would liberate one group from under another group. He also never said, hey, let's start a revolution and let's knock off the status quo and we'll start it all again from the ground up. Every once in a while, people tried to get him to sound like that by pitting him against Rome, but his message was simple. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And they'd say to him, hey, 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 you keep talking about a kingdom, right? Are you trying to start a new kingdom? And Jesus would just keep disappointing them. He would say, oh, yeah, 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 no. No, um, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom's not of this world. Pilate, you don't need to be worried. Pilate, you, you, you don't need to be threatened by me. 
Rome, you don't need to be threatened by me. My kingdom is not even of this world. Jesus made it so clear that when Pilate was trying him, he came out to the people and said, seriously, I can't find anything to accuse him of. He's not a revolutionary. He's not introducing some new idea that threatens the foundations of order. And then in terms of Judaism, every time they tried to trap Jesus, he would say, no, 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 no. I'm not trying to overturn Jewish law. I'm, trying, I'm not trying to overturn Jewish tradition. I'm here to keep the law. And you should keep the law. And no one should ever mess with the law because the law came from God. Jesus took the Jewish law and actually raised the standard. There was no talk of insurrection. There was no talk of liberation. He wasn't a revolutionary trying to bring about something new. The other problem with Jesus' message was that it was all about Jesus. And that set him apart, and that sets him apart from everybody else who ever came along that tries to be or that follows this movement of someone that you would identify as a leader. And that's the primary problem. He never asked his followers to trust his ideas. That's not what he did. He instructed his followers to trust in him. And that's the problem. That's what makes the rise of Christianity absolutely unexplainable. Except for the very thing that we celebrate on Easter. One day Jesus and his guys are outside of a, a city called Caesarea Philippi. This place had been pretty recently, and by pretty recently I mean about 15 years ago, been renamed. So this place, Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, was renamed after Caesar Augustus, after Augustus died. So they're outside the city and Jesus is talking to them back and forth and they say, hey, we know who Caesar is, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus did not say, hey, Peter, whoa, 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 rein it back in a little bit there. Let's not get carried away. Jesus said, you're right. Not only are you right, but this is an even bigger deal because this is not something that you came up with on your own. God told you that. Well, that's a problem. When Jesus first came into the public eye, there's John the Baptist, right? He's doing his thing down at the Jordan River, and John sees Jesus coming, and he announces it to everyone who's there. But what John didn't say was, Behold, the one who is going to explain to us about the Lamb of God who will one day take away the sin of the world. And he didn't look at Jesus and say, Behold, he who cometh nigh shall explaineth what must be done to be forgiveneth. He looked at Jesus, and then he talked to the crowd, and he said, That guy, that guy right there, that guy comes personally to take away the sin of the world. The problem with Jesus' message was that Jesus' message was not about ideas. Jesus' message was about Jesus. And one day, Jesus gets word from some super good friends, and they tell him that a really good friend of his is about to die. And so the messenger says, oh, his sisters come along. Lazarus' sisters are calling. Jesus, you got to come. Please, please, please come to Bethany because your friend Lazarus is sick and he's near to death. And then Jesus did something that no one, no one would have ever made this up. It just feels odd. Jesus said, 
We're not going to go yet. Jesus waits until Lazarus dies and says, now we'll go. And honestly, who would make that up, right? If there was an editor involved in these gospels and he's some sort of Jesus cheerleader and he's involved in this project, wouldn't they just have taken that story out? They go, the miracle is great, we'll keep that, but maybe we could just you know, trim the story down a little bit for time and get rid of that whole, why didn't you go? So they show up. And Lazarus is dead, and he's buried in a tomb. And Mary and Martha, they come out to meet Jesus at separate times, and they both said something to Jesus that you have said to God in your own way. They said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not be dead. He said, Jesus, you were late. Jesus, you didn't answer our prayers. Jesus, you're making it really difficult for us to believe. And what Jesus says next, you might not expect at all. Jesus does not say, Mary, Martha, I just want to explain to you what life after death is like. He doesn't say, Mary and Martha, what you need to know is there's a resurrection. Let me explain how the resurrection works. Let me share some principles. Let me share you some ideas that you'll be able to pass on to your children and on to your children's children. Don't worry. In 2,000 years, they're still going to be talking about these tips that I've got for you today. Jesus looked at each of those women that he loved, and he said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. And I'm not here to tell you about it. I'm not here to explain it to you. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in my ideas. The one who believes in my parables. The one who wears my t-shirts. No. The one who believes in me will live. The problem with Jesus, he just kept talking about Jesus. So one day he's having a conversation with his guys about God. And they're going back and forth. And what's God like? And what's going on? Is he father? And they're what? And the, the disciples just aren't getting it. Okay? So they say, Jesus, Jesus, ah, too hard. What you need to know, Jesus, is we're all in. Okay? Now, just show us the father. Just show us what he looks like. And Jesus responds. But instead of giving them another word picture, instead of giving them another explanation of what God is like, Jesus says to his apostles, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. This is mue. Muy importante, okay? Especially if you've let any kind of space between you and Jesus come along somewhere along the path. Never once did Jesus, never once did his followers ever indicate that Jesus came to leave us with a collection of parables and principles to pass on to the next generation. Never once did Jesus' followers ever even imply that Jesus came to give us some teaching that later on we'd be able to hand down. The problem with Jesus and his message was that his message was all about Jesus. And that's why he's different. That's why he's different. That's why he doesn't hit the standard. That's why he doesn't fit into the pattern or the mold for passing a movement along. Now, here's why this is such a problem. 
When he died, their hope died with him. When Jesus died, there wasn't one person standing at the cross looking up and saying, okay, now that our leader is gone, we've got to codify. We've got to write these things down. We've got to get his teachings together. We've got to get them together, and we've got to pass them along. Jesus was so much the center of his teaching that there was nothing left to pass on to another generation. The teachings really don't make any sense at all with the death of Jesus. When Jesus died, no one believed his message. No one. When Jesus died, no one believed his claims. No one. When Jesus died, unlike any other leader that we celebrate or we recognize in this kind of way, when Jesus died, the movement died with him because he was the movement, because he was the message. Even before Jesus died, his closest friend, his followers had abandoned him. The very people that brought us the story of Jesus present themselves as cowards. And when you write yourself into a story, you don't write yourself in as a coward. But Peter, he's there. Peter's the one who stood up and said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That same Peter sitting by a fire one night and a little girl, junior high kind of girl, comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Aren't, aren't you one of the Nazarenes? Don't you come from Galilee? Not only at that time did Peter not stand up and say, yes, and he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He said, never heard of him. Don't even know who he is. When Jesus was arrested, they all lost faith. When Jesus died, the movement died with him. There were no Christians at the cross because Messiahs don't die. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. The Son of God can't be killed. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Resurrection and life cannot be crucified. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So there's the mystery again. How in the world could a man who was so much the focus of his own message that when he was crucified, it invalidated his message, how is that whole thing still going on today? How is it that a third of the world calls him and claims him as Lord? How is it a movement that died and, and, and died with him? How is it that it survives today thousands of years later and all across the world? Easter. <laughs> right? Easter. Easter solves history's mystery. And here's how it unfolded. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, now, two men had wrapped up Jesus' body, and they did it in a hurry because they didn't want to break into the Sabbath time. So they rushed. And the, the, women, <laughs> the women knew if the men did it, it probably needed to be redone. So <laughs> the women are arriving early at the tomb, and they're thinking, I don't know how we're going to move the stone, but we need to properly prepare that body. So early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene. And you go, beep, beep, beep. You catch that? The alert that comes there? What just happened? In the first century, women had no credibility. In the first century, a woman could not appear and testify in court. A woman's testimony was considered unreliable. If there was any possible way for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to somehow tell the story of the resurrection and get the women out of the story, 
they would have done it. Because the fact that the women were the first people to discover the empty tomb discredited the whole story. The fact that they were first, that women were first in the first century discredited the whole account. So do you know why the gospel writers said that the women were the first people to discover the empty tomb? It's because women were the first people to discover the empty tomb. All right? That's the only reason that they would have written women into a story of this magnitude. So we have Mary Magdalene, and she went to the tomb, and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, John, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they, we don't know who they are, but they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. What's the big deal? You know this. You can see it. It's right in front of you, and you've heard it. You've seen it so many times that you don't even notice it anymore. Mary Magdalene didn't go running to the disciples shouting, hey guys, it's happened exactly as he said. He's risen from the dead. Do you see it? Right? Nobody was standing outside that tomb and going, 10, <laughs> 9, 8, 7, 6. There were no campfires. There was no vigil. There were no tents. There was nobody. The people who brought us the story of the resurrection sheepishly, but honestly, admit, we thought that when he died, he would stay dead. So when the women found an empty tomb, they didn't assume a resurrection. They assumed somebody stole the body. And Luke, if we go to Luke, He's so meticulous in his accuracy. He's so good with the details. He tells us how the men responded. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So when the women came to the men and said, the body is missing, the men did not say, praise God, it's the resurrection. They listened to the women and they thought, you're off, you're rocker. You went to the wrong tomb. This, this is nonsense. No wonder we don't allow women to testify in court. Am I right? That's what they were saying to each other. So Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb, and both were running. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, and he looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Do you know why John peeked into the tomb but did not go in? Because it's a tomb, like for dead people, right? And then Simon Peter came along behind him and they went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Do you know when John, who spent three years of his life following Jesus, finally believed? Wasn't the teaching. It's good teaching. Wasn't the miracles. They were impressive miracles. Wasn't the crucifixion. It was the empty tomb. 
Jesus' followers didn't re-engage because of something that Jesus taught. Jesus' followers re-engaged because of someone they saw. They saw the risen Jesus. And after Jesus rose from the dead, these cowards, these men who were not expecting a resurrection, they flooded back out, out onto the streets of Jerusalem and they began to preach and teach. But they didn't preach and teach any of the parables or principles of Jesus. They didn't preach anything that Jesus taught. In the book of Acts, it tells us what happened. And here's part of Peter's sermon that day. He said, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We, (laughs) we are witnesses of this. And in another message, a little earlier on, a few weeks right after the the thing happened, um, they're out in the streets and and they're, they're preaching and the people believed. And they believed Matthew and they believed Peter and they believed John. And they said, okay, 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 we believe. So now what should we do? You're right. We killed him. We believe that you have seen him. There are just too many witnesses flooding through the city that say they saw the resurrected Jesus. There's hundreds of them. So what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The reason that this is the best weekend for those of you who have been considering becoming a Jesus follower Instead of hoping that when you get to the judgment that you'll be there and you'll tell them how hard you tried and look at all the good things that I did. Instead of depending on me and trusting in me. If you've ever considered placing your faith on what Jesus did on your behalf, well, this is the weekend, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ solves history's mystery. How did the church survive? How did the movement begin? Why is it that a third of the world's population claims him as Lord and Master? It wasn't because he had good things to say that a group of people said, we need to pass these things along. When Jesus died, his teachings didn't matter to anyone. When Jesus died, there were no believers. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ punctuated the point of his crucifixion the forgiveness of sin. That means that if you're a Christian, your hope is not in vain. It means that when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, it means that there is a resurrection and there is life. And Peter and Andrew and James and Matthew and and John and James, the brother of Jesus, they show up on the other side of the resurrection and they say, we believed. Then... We didn't believe. Then we believe again. Not because of what he taught, but because we saw the resurrected Jesus. This is why no matter how bad your church experiences have been, no matter how crooked the last Christian that you did business with was, no matter what you saw in your Christian home growing up, no matter what you think or feel or what you've seen regarding the, uh, the hypocrisy of the church, no matter how many unanswered prayers you've had, no matter how disappointed you are with God, I would say to you, on this Easter Sunday, you should give Jesus another look. Not because of what he taught, 
but because he claimed to have died for your sins. And he rose from the dead. And he was seen by those who knew him best. The book of Acts tells us that he was seen by over 500 people. The people that re-engaged with his message after his resurrection, they died. Not for what they believed. People do that all the time. They died for what they believed they saw. A resurrected Savior. So if you've been on the fence, on the sidelines, if you're wrestling, should I bother? Is it that big of a deal? If you've been thinking about it, if you've been considering it, I just want you to know there is no better time than now. The New Testament tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is why Easter is the greatest celebration. So if, as I've been speaking, there is something in your heart that just says, yes, then I want to encourage you to follow that leading of the Holy Spirit and to give your life to Christ. So if you're ready to take a step like that, I want you to pray with me. Actually, you know what? Let's make it better. Let's all pray together. Let's pray together out loud. Let your mouth form these words. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that when he died, he died for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead and was seen. And in this moment, I place all of my faith in his death on the cross as the payment for my sins. Come into my heart. Welcome me to your family. I'm grateful for your love for me. And I want to spend the rest of my life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Father, I thank you for what we're celebrating today. Jesus, I thank you for those who have decided and this is their weekend. I pray that you would seal this in their heart and that they would never forget it. And may this indeed be the moment that they can look back on for the rest of their lives and say, that, that's when I became a follower of Jesus. Kind Father, we pray all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So God bless you. And God keep you. And God smile on you and gift you. God look you full in the face and make you prosper and give you peace. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. The more we connect, the better it gets. And so I'll remind you again, if you have your green card, fill that out. We'd love to connect with you. Hand it in to Rob. Rob's just over here. Hand it in to him. Get you our welcome pack. We want to get you connected. We want to get you involved. But I don't want to say goodbye. I want to send you. We don't go out and say church is done. We go out because they say now the church has got to go. The church ain't here. The church is where you go, where we take it. So I want to send you out, and I want to remind you as I do that, that we are Christ-centered. 
we are spirit-empowered, and that we are mission-focused. That we are to be on mission, everyone, everywhere, all the time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right.